Hey, I'm Adrian, Isfania. Hi, I'm Angela aus Deutschland. And, and we, we are, are Black, Black Women, Women in, Europe. in Europe. You can subscribe to our podcast on most major platforms like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, Amazon Music, and Audible, and many more. And be sure to check out our link tree in the show notes so that you can follow us on all social media platforms and check out our blog. If you'd like to be a guest on our podcast or know someone who'd be a great guest, please contact us at podcast at blackwomeninyourup.com. And we are so excited that you're here today. And here is our next guest. You know, I'm super whew, excited because I've got Iris Earn. I never, she's going to tell me how to pronounce her last name. I'm still, that's the O with the two dots. Uh, earn. I still have trouble with that because I saw Iris. It was, I can't remember the year, but it was in Lund. I was living in England. So it was between 2013 and 17 and was flown into Lund to go to this life sciences event. And Iris was like the queen working the room. <laughs> Seriously, I think me and you were the only black women in there. There might have been one other. Um, I'm not sure. I don't even know. But so, you know, I noticed you, but you were, you knew everybody. Everybody loved you. You were walking, you were going around. And I was like, who is she? You know, I'm like, who is she? And I found out later that you are, um, well, Iris Fern, welcome in. Welcome. Thank you. We were having fun. <laughs> we're having fun. And Angela, this was, um, you know, I don't know how big life sciences is in Germany. I would imagine big. Yeah, now I that think I think about it. A big topic, yeah. Well, yeah. And Sweden is, is good for that. And so Iris is the, um, for the region of Gothenburg, Gothenburg is the second biggest city in, in um, Sweden. She's responsible for, I hope I'm not going to say it wrong, but bringing um, investments in the life sciences um, sector into Sweden. I equate you, you're almost like, you have, you're due some of the same job the royal family does because the royal family is, is is part of their job is responsible for bringing investment into sweden right yes okay, indeed make... yes yeah. indeed i have never considered that but yes indeed you are right so tell us about that why are you uniquely qualified to do this well so okay so what what we do is usually call investment promotion you have this kind of offices in many regions uh, and of course in every country and it is because we know that foreign investments are very important for every country as they contribute to taxes new jobs new employment um, so that's what i do here but i i have the focus on west sweden which is actually where gothenburg is located and then we are a team like 15 people and my role then covers life science and healthcare but i have also colleagues working with it clean tech logistics automotive and so on so the idea is actually to go abroad meet large companies meet investors and convince them to invest in the region open an office do an acquisition a joint venture any kind of business deal that contributes to the growth of the companies in the region and the See, it's a region just, itself. Just like Crown Princess Victoria, you're bringing in those big <laughs> deals. So what is your background? Okay, I can, um, you're not, you, 
I don't want to say I can hear your accent because I know your accent, but do you, do you, and your English is perfect. So I can't say that English isn't your native tongue, but what is your mother tongue and how did you get to Sweden? Okay. So that's a long story. I, uh, <laughs> uh, okay. So, fine. you know, it is complicated for me with the language because um, I speak three languages, but I speak them at different times, <laughs> meaning that when I'm talking about work, I talk in English. I speak English. If I am at home with my friends, with my family, is only Spanish, which is just my some other tongue. And if I am in Sweden with the colleagues, with the fika, <laughs> then it's Swedish. So you should. It's complicated, you know, because I cannot say that I am bilingual or trilingual. So I cannot speak everything in the same language. I don't know whether it's uh, something that is just for me or whether it happens to everybody that speaks more than one language. I think it might be easier if you grown up in a country where you say you speak Spanish and then you are with your family and everybody speaks something else. But in my case, I am the only one in my family speaking Spanish here in Sweden. So... Um, yeah, that's it. It's so, complicated. Now, why why do you speak Spanish? You're not. Why do you speak Spanish? Yes, I, mean, I speak Spanish when I'm talking about things related to Spain. I'm sorry, I, <laughs> I'm, sorry, I, I'm not being clear because I want you to reveal your home your your home country. I don't want to say it. I want to. I want you to. Ah, so your... Cuba. I'm from Cuba. So oh, I am. From Cuba. Okay. Wow. Originally, originally, <laughs> I am from Cuba. I actually left Cuba 1999 when I was 23 years old. So I've been now in Sweden for 23. So I am 46 now. My goodness, half, I have life. So I am 50, 50. <laughs> wow, yeah. you look like you're still 23. So wait a minute. So 23, <laughs> Cuba, why did you leave Cuba? Well, I don't know. How, uh, should I be honest? So um, yes. on paper and in reality, I left Cuba because of love. But I cannot deny that I, that I also wanted to leave Cuba. <laughs> so it means that I was lucky that I met my husband when he was in Cuba studying Spanish. But I think that in any case, I had the goal to also leave Cuba. <laughs> mm. So, you know, it's complicated, but I can put it in the yeah. romantic way and say, I met the love of my life and then I left Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> it, looks, it, looks like it all came together because you knew you were like okay i know that my life is beyond bigger than cuba and then you met this man and you're like well i like him i can see a life and so you know because you didn't pick sweden in, in other words like i didn't know if you were like you had your sights on sweden you had your sights on a world beyond cuba and so you met him how long before you knew that okay i could okay so man. everything went very fast so it is like that when I was living, so I was born 75 in Cuba and then the Soviet Union uh, fell in 1989, 1990 in that uh, um, period. And Cuba was one of the countries that um, not belong, but that were very close to the Soviet so Union. And I think that the name is CAME, C-A-M-E, this is a community of Poland and Czechian and many countries. So when the Soviet Union fell, uh, we went into something that we call a special period. 
meaning that we have zero food, zero diesel, zero, zero of everything. Uh, so we were very poor, very poor. We have, we don't, we didn't literally, even. Were people literally starving? Not starving because uh, we had that, um, I think that the name is Russian, Russianating book. It's like a notebook when they say every family has right to one kilo sugar, one kilo rice, uh, you know, two eggs and something. A Russian book, I think we would Russian book, yeah. We, we still have it, yeah? <laughs> Despite, uh, but at that time, because Cuba was very much dependent of the Soviet so Union, uh, we didn't have so much that. So um, I could say we have one piece of bread, one bread, you know, a, you know, per person, per day. Uh, and I remember that we had a lot of queues, you know, long queues from 6 a.m. to 10, just waiting for that bread. So at that time, it doesn't matter whether you had a job or not you couldn't find anything in Cuba. We don't. We didn't even have um, transportation means. So at that time, we had a deal with China. So we got a lot of um, bicycles. I remember the name is Bicycle Forever. So everybody was bicycling in Cuba, cycling. So uh, then I was at the university in 1999 doing my last year of the biochemistry education that I choose, I was from a family. So in my family, everybody, of course, is black. Um, but I could say that my family, it's a family of the revolution, okay? Meaning that my uh, grandmother, my mother's parents, they were from slaves, kind of. They were, you know, descendants of yeah. slaves that in Cuba they came from the area Ghana, Nigeria, Congo, that area. So when the revolution in Cuba won in 1959, many black people that were very poor before, that didn't have right to education, that didn't have right to a house, that didn't have right to anything, suddenly, you know, got everything that is on the books. They could go to school, they could get a job, they were equal to everybody else. And that's something that still many people think the revolution for, and that's the time of Fidel Castro, Che Guevara, all that Latin America revolution period. Yeah, and you know, I was trying to find very romantic. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to find my University of Cuba t-shirt because I've been to Havana. And I, so, so I think I've been on your campus, which was beautiful, but I remember the big murals and everything at Che Guevara. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. And, and so wait a minute, you're, you're blowing my mind. So, and I guess I should know this, but to make sure. So before the revolution, the descendants of slaves were denied fundamental. You know, basic before rights. the revolution, black people like in many other countries right now, <laughs> didn't have exactly. right to anything because they were black and they were poor. Uh, so it's not because of the color, because, you know, it's usually also that black people are also poor people. So it's a combination of everything. So they, uh, we had capitalism in Eso Cuba. Uh, we were a, a colony of the USA, the same as Puerto Rico. But then we got the 
in the independence in 1959 and Puerto Rico are still like an appendix of the SOUSA. So in Cuba, you have the rich people, usually white people or people that have some kind of connections with the USA or the Europeans and so on. But when the revolution um, won 1959, Fidel, that was, um, st he studied uh, legal sciences. He was, um, he was from a rich family. He had descendants from Spain, okay? But he believed in everybody equal, okay? So when the revolution won, he removed or he took uh, all the possessions that the white people had all the industries, all the businesses, they took it all and kind of nationalized it, which there are still people in Miami from those from that time that are still very angry. disappointed. Very angry. angry. Very they took angry. everything, everything, the Bacardi, the Ron, the industry, the fabrics, the buildings, everything, everything. But then he uh, made schools, you know, supermarkets and gave it to the people, to everybody. So black and white, everybody equal. Then my family, my grandmother and my grandparents, they were, as I said, um, their grandma were slaves because in Cuba we had a slavery until 1898, okay? And my grandmother, she was born 1926, okay? So her mother was... And my um, grandma, she was working as many black people as a cleaning lady in the house of the white people, okay? So when the revolution won, uh, my grandfather got a, he got a job. She didn't have to work anymore. My mother uh, could go to school. She got an education as a teacher as a librarian you know everybody was everything was perfect okay and the revolution was perfect until the day the soviet union fell <laughs> hmm. because we were living actually cuba is a small island okay so we don't have any big industry apart from tourism that we have right now but then we had sugar cane <laughs> that's why we have grown <laughs> we hmm. had sugar cane we had tobacco okay um so when the soviet union fell uh, we need we we had to you know create everything that we didn't have before, and still we are trying to succeed with that, and we are still in the same problem. After the Soviet Union, we were uh, during some years depending on Venezuela, depending on Brazil, depending on Argentina, depending on China. So it has been difficult for the small island Cuba, you know, to be self-sufficient and grow. So uh, during that period, 1999, everybody was very poor. Of course, the, so I decided after my education to leave Cuba, uh, which wasn't easy because Cuba, as many Africans, needs a visa in order to enter any country. You need a visa. <laughs> uh, but then my husband, who was Swedish, he was at that time 23 years old, and I started like now, Swedish people can get 
grants and can get funding if they want to go to other countries and study something. So my husband, uh, because he at that time loved Cuba and Che Guevara and all that stuff, he decided to go to Cuba, study Spanish, but also take some salsa courses. And then uh, because the situation was as, as it was during the time I was doing my biochemistry uh, studies, I also was uh, working as a salsa teacher on my spare time. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, with my, at that time, what's the name? We had, how do we call it? Because we have those recording cassettes, you know? Mm-hmm. What's the name? VHS? No. No. CD? I, no, before no. CD, we have the cassette, oh, cassette. like a band. Yeah. A so I was, tape. Yeah. yeah. So I was taking my uh, music equipment with me to the university and then was offering private classes and then I remember that I met a guy from I think he was from New Zealand and he was with my husband in the same Spanish class and then when my husband asked do you know anybody that can give me some private salsa classes then he recommended me and then I started to teach him and then uh, after a few classes we were in love i don't know whether that was very proactive when trying to make it <laughs> you know so uh, you know it's a combination <laughs> but you know what iris okay before you go i'm still trying to look for this university of cuba t-shirt i mean sorry havana it's university of havana t-shirt that's the t-shirt i'm trying to find i'm so I'm, I'm distracted. But wait a minute, before you go, you're going to have to show me and Angela a move or two. And wait a minute, the International Women's Club of Gotham, you're going to have to get those ladies up there doing some salsa, honey, when we can, um, that will be hilarious plus great. We need to move our bodies. But <laughs> salsa, okay, I have a whole new level of respect for you um, with the salsa thing. But also, wait a minute, you kind of like glance glance over biochemistry you were studying biochemistry yeah so um i as a child i was kind of very smart so i went to the best cuba um, high school which was um the name is lenin lenin like the lenin in the soviet union (laughs) and it was that school that was actually co-founded by the soviet union together with cuba so kind of the best students in the countries went there. We lived there. Uh, I was there 11 days, um, 11 days and then three days home, 11 days, three days home. And then we only have science, 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 you know, morning, afternoon and evening. So I got good grades. And then with the time to decide the education, I decided biochemistry because Cuba has always been very good in biotechnology in science so at that time that was the best thing you could do and then i choose that so it's not like now you know now our kids they spend one year thinking about what they are going to do with their lives you know (laughs) trying it for me it was this was the best i could do and then i did it just after the high school i go i went directly to the university i was there for five years as usual you know even though Cuba have both, um, how can I say, black people and white people and everybody gets the same opportunities, I can actually say that the majority of the people at the u- university they are also white people. Not because the black people cannot, but I think it's because you have still your background 
behind you. You know, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, it's not easy. So I think if, I know what yeah. you're trying to say. I think I know what you're trying to say. Um, even though, but but let me ask you this: Why were you different then? Why? Because you had the same background. You, your your grandmother. Yeah, but my mother was to the university. My mother went to the university. My father went to the university. And it was, you know, I have to go to the university. That wasn't a question. <laughs> that wasn't something to be discussed. So because everybody did it, and my mother and my father did it because my grandparents, they were so thankful to the revolution because of the opportunity. So they actually, you know, wanted the best for the kids. And then when I grew up, it was what everybody in my family did. But it wasn't because they had more money. I remember that at that time, I have to take these extra salsa classes, give them in order to have some money to pay for the pizza because we have nothing or in order to be able to take a taxi once a week because there was no, not transportation. I remember my mother, even she didn't have a house. So I was living with my grandparents, you know, so we were poor. But still, we, you know, the as university was, this is what we do, this is what we are going to do. So wasn't any question about that. Let me ask you, you know, I love that. Um, there's so many parallels with, with um, your experience in Cuba and, and, the, and the African-American experience as well. There's so many parallels. It's, it's, it's heartwarming and sad at the same time to hear, but it's, it's, so, it's so many parallels. Now, when I was in um, Havana, um, my husband at the time could speak Spanish and um, I can't speak any Spanish. <laughs> I know, horrible, right? Donde, donde le manio? Pollo arris, por favor. Cerveza, por favor. I can get chicken, rice, beer. I can get to the toilet. That's People will help me. You know, I can do that. But you know what? I was just really, I don't know how to say I love you in Spanish. And that's like a basic. Te quiero, no? Te amo. Te amo. Te amo. Te amo, te amo, sí. Te amo, sí. Te amo, yes. No, te amo. Because that's like a basic, it's like, how do I not? But then I realized I never dated any Spanish-speaking men. Another, it, but Because I'm like, how do I not know how to say that? But um, I remember walking in the street. And the, the husband at the time was, was um, white, European-American white. They, they don't even say European-American white. And um, walking in the street in Havana, I can't remember where, but I know residential. And... Seeing a house, I don't know what we're doing, looking in the window, not, not like this in the windows, but in the door, the door was open and it was a black family. It was a mother and two kids. And we were looking at each other and she waved, like, come in. And I was like, you know, looking like us, like me. And she was like, come in. And, you know, my husband said, you know, in Spanish, I hope, you know, like she's just curious because I was just curious, you know. Because like I say, you know, it's like looking in a mirror, like parallel mm -hmm. world. That could be me, you know, like in another. And she said, you know, come in, come in. And we sat down. It was immaculate. I can remember the place was immaculate. It was immaculate. I can remember she had a Buddha, a Santeria something, and a, a, like a crucifix. Yeah. Where, like she had all bases covered, like this altar. I can remember the TV. I could swear it was like, I don't know if it was alive. American football game or a movie, but I remember it was American football. And we just sat there smiling and looking at each other and the kids were looking at me and I was looking at them and they didn't speak any English and again, no Spanish. And we just wanted to be together. And I can remember, I can't remember how long we were there, if they offered us anything or 
what we talked about, but I could just remember that would never happen in the States. Right? No. At least That's another culture. We not, don't not, have, now. Yeah. not now. No. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, I love that because that made me feel connected. Like, I don't know. We were curious. Like, they could tell I was a tourist. Obviously, I don't know. <laughs> And I, I just felt connected that they wanted to be connected. So I think that's wonderful. So, okay, wait a minute, back to you. So yes. Yeah, so the, um, so you're getting your biochemistry because you like, I was good at it. That's what you do. Did you know what you can do with the bio? Like, what do they tell you you can do with biochemistry? Yeah. Work in a um, research center. So we have many. So Cuba is very good in biotech. We actually have a lot of vaccines in hepatitis. Now we have our own COVID vaccine. Okay, so we actually export to Latin America and to some countries in Africa. So I knew that I would, you know, I had to work within research. But the reason for what I wanted to leave Cuba was mainly economic. So many people that I know left Cuba because of political reasons. Okay. I left Cuba because of love, but also because of economic reasons. So to be honest, all the matters about my blackness or being, I don't know whether you call Afro. So yeah, we can call Afro-Cuban. I never, we never thought about it because, you know, when you are in Latin America, so what's it, that's the difference between Latin America and the USA. Okay, so in Latin America, we are very mixed the Spaniards, you know, met the Africans, and then you get the it's a mulatto or the mixed race. Okay. So, and everybody in Cuba, you know, the white with the black, with the mulatto, with the mixed race. So we don't think about being Afro-Cuban. So when we talk about Afro-Cuban, we talk about Afro-Cuban from the religion point of view. You understand? Not from the race. So like Religion. So it means that we, because we were a socialistic country during a long time, a religion was forbidden. You know, there were some church there, but people wasn't re really allowed to practice any kind of Christian. That's what we were told. We were told yeah. that it was true. It's true. But oh. we have Afro Afro Cuban religion, and that was big part of what we are as Cubans okay so that could Santeria? be practiced <laughs> it's not called Santeria why do I want to call it's it Santeria, Santeria yes it's Santeria so I think in, in other Latin American countries you have like Haiti Haiti you have like voodoo but we have more like from Congo Nigeria Yoruba you know that kind of mm -hmm. sense you know Yoruba Elewa Chango all this and many Cubans many 70% of Cuba practice the Afro-Cuban. So when we talk about Afro-Cuban, we are not referring to the race or the color. We are refer um, referring to the religion, which Cubans about, practice every day. They dance it. They, you know. <laughs> what about the music? Is Afro-Cuban? Um, As well, a it's a combination. So both, we have a lot of salsa, of course. We see some evolution of the first kind of um, music that we have that was most tango, more, you know, soft song. We call it like song, no? It's more like softer, slower salsa that then evolved after mambo and cha-cha into salsa. But then we, after that, had Afro-Cuban. We, we also have right now Afro-Cuban music in which we mix 
the trumps from Africa and we call Esomaraca, you know, like click, 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 click. <laughs> with other kind of more um, traditional instruments like piano. So we have also a lot of jazz just because of that kind of um, combination. Can I ask you, can I ask you a question about, uh, two questions. One about, um, can you say like the difference between Latin America in the US, in the, in the Latin America, do you all say, do you think in terms of North America or do you just think of US? And then North America, I feel it more US, US, okay. So all the, all the conversations, uh, if you look about Black Lives Matter, okay. That movement hasn't been big in Latin America in the same way it is in Europe or it is in so USA. And I think it's because even the black people in Latin America, including Cuba, they feel very much like they are mixed. We are a mix of different races. We are a mix of white with black, African, European, you know. So that's why even though we are black and can feel sometimes that we might be discriminated, people is not so much into their blackness because they know if they have money, they can get anything. You know, so it's not that we are not so aware of that. I don't know if it is because in my case of the socialistic kind of um, <laughs> ideology yeah, that no. deleted it from my mind or it is because of reality no and it's, it's definitely a different way of thinking the united states is anything but socialist you know they, they will you know anything but socialist you know um second question i've been told i don't know if i read it or where i heard it from but as you say it's not so much color consciousness in latin america but more hair texture now is that true? yes it's on, yes because Yes, so it's not so much about the color, it's much about the features of your face and the texture of your hair, okay? So the most beautiful person in Cuba was a black woman with big boots and <laughs> bots and that have a straight hair because she was kind of Indian, you know? If you look at the people from Singapore, uh, that uh, what's it? I think it's Singapore. No, no, it's not Singapore. There is some kind of Indian. They're not really Indian, but there is this like kind of Pakistan, Sri Lanka, yeah, Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka, yeah. You know that they are very black, but they have straight hair and they have face features that are like like a it's a white person. Those in Cuba are very are super beautiful. So that's idealized, like a mixture. So the dark skin, they love the beautiful dark skin. It's a combination of all the different features, but black skin is 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 heralded. Like in, and the mixed so race, and the mixed race. The white texture hair. You can your skin can be dark, dark, dark. Doesn't matter. And the mixed race because mixed the race. Spaniards, uh, they were behind many um, books and the literature that we have today in Latin America. And in those books, they had like the ideal, what we call la mulata, the mixed race with the curls, <laughs> the white features. We have that in the United States too. Anywhere, you know, that you've got slaves and, and white men can have sex with them. You can exactly. Have we have the same story. We have the same story. And the Cuban guys and the Latin Americans, they love these women. And they don't, these women, they don't really feel that they are black. You know, they just feel they are beautiful. They are special. They have the base of every word. 
<laughs> the features what? of the white and the you know what's considered white features i don't you know uh, in cuba so um they look at the size of the mouth they look at the form of the nose uh, so usually black people have big mouths you know kind of and white have very big. you know <laughs> That white people risk health and get injections to to emulate, but yeah. Now, now you see, now is the yeah. time. <laughs> not even now, but 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 Iris, we know in history that that's always been the case. Like we know, at least we can go back to the hot and top Venus from South Africa, who had the big behind that they put her on on display. But we also know that 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 style that the white women started wearing then the trellis with the like the big hoop thing in the back they were trying to have back just like they're trying to have back now yeah isn't it strange isn't it very strange that yeah. actually that the white women their ideal is to have big butts big boots uh, you know big mouth and at the same time there is some kind of a discrimination with the black woman itself so they want to have the black woman's features but they don't want to be there <laughs> they don't want to be yeah. But then, then, exactly, but then, okay, so, so in the Spanish um, culture, the ideal woman is, is how you, as you described. I don't know what that would be in, in the French culture. We know in um, English culture, Anglo culture, it, it's been basically white standard of beauty, which we've seen is, is changing. Um, so, okay, so did you feel beautiful growing up in Cuba? I mean, no, me, so I wasn't at all. So because I was just black, I wasn't mixed. <laughs> I wasn't mixed race. I wasn't the ideal. So you know, it is. I don't know whether it is the same in the US, but black. So let me see. So how can I say? It? So the white guys, they wanted the mixed race, the curls, the uh -huh. the black men. They wanted if they were very, you know, if they if they couldn't afford and they are not very handsome, they could get the black woman. <laughs> but if they could choose, they could choose the mixed race or the white. But for the black people to choose the white, they, they need to prove that they had some money. I don't know whether it's the same situation in the SOUSA, but poor black men, they don't even go and ask a white is a woman, <laughs> at least in Cuba. So they have the choice, the mixed race, the black woman, and if they have a lot of money, they go to the white. So I myself, I was just a black, you know, so all my, to be honest, my husband, my Swedish husband was the first white person I was together with. You know, I was going to ask first. you, he didn't know I was going to say he didn't know the rules then when he came. No, he because he was Swedish and he came there and um, yeah, I don't know. He liked, I suppose he liked, um, he liked me, everything. So after we got married after six months or less, after five, after five months, yeah. So we started with the salsa and then uh, because well, he, he had... You must be one one heck of a salsa teacher. Wait a minute, five months. <laughs> I have. I was very lucky. My my family said to me, "It is you won the lottery." <laughs> so I was going to ask you, what did your family? So how soon before you brought him home to meet your family? So I did it very quick. So say that I met the, I met my, my husband in January. Then uh, he had an apartment that he is uh, rented because he was um you know white tourist. 
eso estaba en Spanish, so he rented an apartment in the city center and I was living one hour from the city center and we didn't have any kind of transportation at that time because of all the ESO crisis. So what I did was that I pursued him to stay at his home to avoid going to my house because the ESO university was just very near his apartment. And, you know, I suppose that that contributed to us being very close to each other. So, <laughs> so uh, he, didn't he did not object, did he? No, no, and, of course um, he didn't. So he had the, the salsa and the friend. And I, and for me, it was fantastic because I had an apartment in the city center just beside the it's a university. And I also had the opportunity to eat better because he could afford better breakfast, <laughs> better lunch. <laughs> So did you all used to sit on that wall, you know, that wall where the water comes up and people are playing music and dancing yes, and stuff like that? Yes, yes. sit on that wall? Yeah, so Cuban people, we dance all the time, every day, from morning to evening. So music you know is what? everywhere. You and know what? Do, you, do yeah. you go back? Have your, have your children been to Cuba? Do you go back? Your family's still there? Yes, I try to go not once a year, but perhaps once and then two, two years pass and then I go again. I see the last time now I stay less and less time uh, because in the beginning I was very young. I went there to dance, to go to the disco. Then I had money and I could I could go as a party. Right now when I'm 46, I am not so much for the disco. And all my friends uh, from the university, they have moved. They had left Cuba. So I just go there and meet my mother. We still lives there. So for me, it's easier that she comes here because my sister, she lives in Spain. She married okay. an Italian. You spend a lot of time in Spain, you know, so maybe because you have family. But wait a minute. So your, your, your children have been to Cuba. They, do you speak um, Spanish with your children? I mix. So in the beginning, I did it a lot. So it, it was a time. So when I moved from Cuba to Sweden, okay, so I met my husband in January. We got married in May. Okay, and then I moved to Sweden with the as a residence permit in September. And then uh, after that, so I was very young. We was only twenty four, and he uh, was also at that time studying at the university. It is more that in Sweden you take like a break, as you know, to go travel, and then you come back. So then uh, I stayed in Sweden for two years. And then I got kind of depressed because of, the, you know, I came John from Cuba with the sun, with the people, with the culture, with everything. And they come here and it was cold. People is also a bit colder <laughs> than we are in Cuba. So it was a cultural shock kind of. So I got kind of not very depressed, but I really went, wanted to leave. So we then moved to Spain when my husband got a trainee. We lived in Spain for three years and then I got my first daughter in Spain. And then at that time, I, I, I was traveling a lot to Cuba. It was easier, but my mother could also go to Spain, the same language. The same. So Spain and Cuba are very similar. Okay, we are poorer in Cuba, but we have the same food, the same culture, the same language, the same kind of thing. The uh, colonizer, yeah, exactly. So there are, you know, we are kind of off the same. I hear they and look down on you, though. I hear they, not just Cubans, but I hear the Spaniards, well, just like all the colonizers, they look down on the people they colonize. Yeah, but not so much. There is a difference between uh, English colonies and Spanish colonies. So the English This is people, a guy I studied with. A guy I studied with, he was from Peru. This is what he told me. Yeah, but Peru is not Cuba. So no. Peru was more 
I suppose because they have more Indian, indigenous, you know. I, so, know. I was shocked when he said that because he, we studied in Brussels and he said he even hated flying through Spain. But yeah. you had to fly through Spain because that was, you know, I guess they dominated the market from Peru. But that was just his experience. So I'm glad it's interesting to hear that it's a different experience with, with, um, yeah, I think that the Spaniards, they mix more with uh, the Cubans. So we have many Cubans that have descendants from Spain. They have parents and grandparents from Spain. It's not the same situation in other Latin American countries in the same way. There is mainly no, Cuba, Argentina. Yeah, because it could tell it was painful for him. So I didn't really want to broach it because he really, it was painful for him. So that's interesting that... Um, that you're, you're also aware of it and can elaborate. So, so that's good. So that's why it's way easier for your mom and for you to spend time in Spain because you don't have yeah. that. And of course, the language helps a, a lot. We have many things in, I think suppose also Cuba is a small island. You know, it's easier uh, if you compare with the country like Peru, Chile, that, you know, are bigger in that sense. But um, I have heard that English people, when they had, as a colonies in India and some countries in Africa, they didn't really mix so much no. with the people from the countries. I don't know why. So I think they have, they are English people are kind of more, not posh, but they feel more superior than Spaniards do. They think they're posh. That's right. They <laughs> think they're superior. Um, and um, that's interesting because also, but you know what is interesting because I also, and you know, everybody's got the individual experience, but I know a black an African-American woman that lived in Spain and did not have the best experience. She thought the, the Spanish attitude or whatever, I don't know, was, was just something, but you know, we've got stories about Sweden. I've got stories about England. You know, we've got yeah. stories about Perhaps we need time. I suppose that because I only spent three three years living in Spain, I wasn't mature to be aware of discrimination in the same way like you are when you live in Sweden for 20 years, because then you can look deeper at every single detail. You know, three years, you are still a tourist in Spain. You understand? So it's just a, having fun. Um, so we were there for three years, then we moved to Ireland. And then we were there for three years as well. But then when I was living in Ireland, I have kind of a very good life. So I, some, I think sometimes that if you have a good economic situation, you might not be so often the target of discrimination. You know? No, you're right. But Iris, now tell us, because you're working, you're working all the time. I know yeah, you so yes, car. yes, yes. So I did some uh, research studies here at the university during the, the, the three years. But then when I moved to Spain, I did an MBA. So I changed from research, biotech, to more business, you know, patents, financing. And then I got a job there. But of course, um, Spain still, you know, how can I explain? You are not exploited, discriminated, but everybody in Spain, you get lower salaries. There is more ESO hierarchies. You know, the world situation is not as good as it is in Sweden. So that's why we also moved to Ireland when there were higher salaries, a lot of companies, because in, in Ireland, you have many American companies and many English companies that establish offices there because they also have this kind of a financial incentives. So it was easier 
to wear bows in Spain and much more easier in Ireland. Uh, so I didn't feel any kind of discrimination in that regard. In Ireland, the challenge was that I didn't have the language, the English, which means that both in England and in Ireland, it's very important for certain kind of jobs that I wanted to apply that you had the perfect English. <laughs> because I was working with biotech connected to financial, to business development, to commercialization, and then the language is key because you are selling did you something. Start, did you start, when did you start learning English? So I then took a course in first in Spain. I did this. What's the name? The Cambridge something. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> wait a wait a wait a minute. You didn't start learning English until an adult. Yes, because in Cuba we our level of English is very low, and actually until I was in secondary school, we have Russian as the second official language that we learn in school. So we had Spanish and Russian. And then after the Soviet Union fell, we started with the English. So when I left, my level of English was very bad. We have some English courses in the school, but it was very, you know, what's your, how do you do? How do you do? Are you fine? You know, that kind of very easy. So, and then when I came to Sweden, I have to study Swedish. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Because I know my second language was French. It was never fantastic, but it was French. And then having to learn Swedish, you know, that pushed whatever French out of my mind. But I can still find myself in France speaking Swedish, thinking I'm speaking French. And some situations in Sweden, saying it in French. And I'm like, wait a minute, that wasn't French. But um, another reason I'm impressed with you. So because your English is excellent, obviously professional level, you started in Spain. <laughs> So what, like one of those business links? Yeah, you know, what's the name? The Cambridge, what's the name of that? Oh, uh, proficiency in English, something at, that you take oh, at you the... Cambridge test. Yeah. Yes, okay. the Cambridge test. I did that course in Spain. It was more or less because in Spain, they speak Spanish. So even though I took the course, it was more theoretical knowledge. But then when I moved to Ireland, I had to speak in English because the Irish people, they want you to speak English and the Irish kind of English that they understand, you know, yeah. with the Irish mm -hmm. accent, because they say, what do you say? What do you say? <laughs> yeah. So I was working as an executive assistant for a biotech company. So I have the legal guy as my boss and the business development guy. So I have to, you know, write the letters and all that stuff. So I learned a lot working in Ireland, living in Ireland. And then I also took a course in Ireland. And then I, when I came back to Sweden, I started to work uh, after a few years with the position that I have now uh, that is international. And then I have to speak in English. So it's practice. I think any language is practice. Absolutely. Now, back to Ireland, because I don't know. You've got to be a child. You're working full time. You don't have any family there. How were you juggling? Yeah, that? Have I have two. So I have my first daughter that moved from mm -hmm. uh, with me from Spain to Ireland. Then I, when I was there, uh, I was pregnant half time. And then I got my other, my second daughter in Ireland. Uh, and then I, I, I was working 80%. And still, I got a lot of criticism from the Irish women in my network because Ireland is a very religious country. Okay. So usually very kind of familiar that women had at that time five, four kids they were housewives. The husband had a lot of money because there were a lot of jobs. 
So they always said, why will you work and leave your kids with somebody else at the crash, you know, at the so in the garden or leave them with the nanny? That's not a good, you know, Christian thing to do. <laughs> so even though I was working 80%, it wasn't really so accepted among the society. It's a completely different, my, I remember my daughter, she went to a school that was only girls in the class. I think still is the situation that half schools in Ireland are only girls in the class. Uh, uh, so it's, uh, then we had to choose Protestant school, Catholic school, Protestant area, Catholic area. So that was the situation. Uh, so I was working, but it wasn't easy because I think more than half my salary just went to pay the crash, the ESO kindergarten private ones yeah um, now if you were to compare that did you have a child in sweden yes my third one was born here seven years ago so i got kind of a, you know when i thought i was done so my two older um, girls they are 19 and 15 so when i thought i was done we decided to have one more kid that is now seven years old <laughs> so compare so, well, because that's one thing Sweden has, is, is, um, has a good reputation for and I think well-deserved. So compare that um, expectation with, because I think in Sweden, mothers are expected to work, but not, like there's very, very rare that you find a stay-at-home mother in Sweden, I think. But when you're, pre you know, when you have that kid, like it's all about the kid, family time, maternity leave, all of that stuff. Like, yeah. So, so that Sweden experience. is different. I tell you, so in Ireland, we have a part of that. We have the crash and I was working. We also had a nanny. So if, if I wanted to go with my husband to, to the cinema or something, we have a nanny. That's very common. In Spain, the same. Eh? I knew many Latin American girls that were working, you know, with the kids. Uh, so when we moved to, to Sweden, that, that is not something that is common here. Now you see it more than before. But then what, uh, what was more shocking to me was, so I was, both Ireland and Spain are very kind of um, easygoing societies. People are very friendly. They talk to everybody. They, everybody is super social. I remember when I come here, uh, my daughter went to the play center and she also went to talk to the other kids. They kind of, you know, don't talk to me if you don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first kind of so how old because normally kids are just no but you know it's not you know even my daughter now she's seven and since she was four five years she has her two three friends you know i don't know it's something i don't know what happened i suppose it's because people are so much kids are so much inside the houses and then you in invite the closest friends as compared to other countries like Spain or Ireland they are more outside and you know they play on the street with everybody here I think my daughter she has never been alone in the playground that is here 100 meters from here and it's just because there is not a culture it's not a risk <laughs> but they don't do it and they, she doesn't want to do it and nobody does it so it's complicated. So when my um, when I moved here, uh, I have one girl was three years and the other one was five seats. 
uh, because school in Spain and Ireland, they start school when they are three, four years old, three, four years old. And here in Sweden, it's quite late. They get the first grade at the first when they are seven, my goodness, because six is the preschool, you know, the pre yeah, they're a year behind, a year behind in Sweden. Or two, one or two. So when my daughter came, she had already been in the first class in Ireland with four years. And then she moved here and she started preschool, but she was the, you know, preschool, not the first class like in Ireland. She started preschool and then she still was the youngest one. So still she is, she has suffered a lot. I don't know why, but it's, for her has been difficult to be the younger person in the class. I don't know why, has but she, she hasn't kind she of Okay, and also, is she, is she smaller? Like, is it physical? Like, is it a notable, noticeable difference? No, 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 no. It's a mental. No? It's a mental thing. She, I okay. don't know what happens, but she always was thinking that she was inferior because she was one year old, younger than the other ones. And also, the difference is even bigger when they are eighteen and they are allowed to go to the pubs, <laughs> to the disco, and then everybody goes, and then she cannot go, even though she is in the same class, which is a pity. Yeah. Yeah, so, I uh, think I, I was a, about a year and a half younger than everybody in my class. And I, for me, it was a developmental difference. Like I didn't have those words when I was a little kid, but they in like mentally, like as far as education, I was ahead of them. But my actual development as a person was still a year behind and all my friends were in the class behind me. They were in the class that I should have been in. So yeah. it, it just, yeah. When people, it doesn't matter so much when you're once you're an adult, but when you're a kid, it, you know, you're not up to speed with this, with the people. Yes. It matters. A- it matters. I remember when we came here and my daughter started school during the first years, first and second class, she was also thinking uh, that she was adopted. <laughs> she was also very strange. I don't know, because she was in the class. So at that time, uh, it is like that. At that time, so now in Sweden, there are many refugees, okay? Which are the ones that are, that has a foreign background. But when we came uh, back in 2008 after Ireland, many of the people that had a foreign background in the area that we live, they were adopted from other countries. So when she started in the school, everybody was telling her that she was adopted because her father is white, blonde, blue eyes. (laughs) So she actually started to believe that she was that until I think she was in the second, third class that we convinced her uh, that she wasn't because she was the only mixed race in that class. How did you convince her that she wasn't adopted? Because then when we had the other daughter, uh, when the other daughter grown up and then so she started to, you know, mature in her mind, but she was the only mixed race and she's not black. She's mixed race, uh, you know, it's a mulata mix uh, with curly hair. I, I, I tell her all the time, no, oh, you are so beautiful. You are the idol of my country. And still she doesn't understand it. It's very strange. So still she feels like, you know, she thinks she's, so beautiful but i think that sometimes she experienced the disadvantages of being a black person in sweden much more than myself because i i, no, I, always you know say, I am cuban you know i'm cuban <laughs> you know i'm glad you said that because i want to talk about that so and 
it breaks my heart to hear a seven. She's already experiencing that. Tell me what, what that's looked like for her and tell me over the 20 years you've been in Sweden, how you experienced racism. But it breaks yeah. my heart to, to think yeah, that you know, she's experiencing For me, it has never been an issue because I always feel I am Cuban. I see that the problem is when you feel you are Swedish and then you don't belong or the people don't accept you. But mm -hmm. I, I, I have always the safety to say, I am Cuban. I don't want to be Swedish. I don't need to be white. I don't need, you know, I'm Cuban. So I can live when I want. I am not, you know, I am not living on social kind of welfare. But she was Swedish. She is Swedish because her host, my husband is Swedish. Her, her father is Swedish. So she is Swedish. Uh, but she never felt she belonged. So you know what happens then. So we live in an area where the only black people in my whole area, which is not a small area. <laughs> we have thousands of houses, big area. In this area, Wait what a I minute. mean, you said where you live, you're the only black family. You're the only black person. There are two. There are two. There are two. My house and another house far away. So in the area where uh, where I live in. So Gothenburg, the name is Eklanda. It's a middle class, upper class area. You could say it's a middle class area uh, with a lot of kids, but there are no black people here. Okay, It's not that it's very expensive. It's expensive to live, but not very expensive. But for any reason, there are no black people here. Black people can be one kilometer from here in another area. Okay, So of course, when she grew up, she was in the only family and there were one more family i think that the guy is from england uh, that was working for a tech company here that was black and of course as a kid i suppose it must be tough <laughs> because you know in cuba at least i saw black white makes everybody all colors here as a kid you are in the area where you live you have the school you have the house you have you know the outdoor activity you know here You know what? Because I always thought of Go Gotham being, being multicultural. I never thought about the suburbs, like what it's like out in the suburbs. So it's not so multicultural out in no, the suburbs. No, for me, it's so, not been a problem. Okay, so in my company during the last two years, I have uh, 10 years, I have been in my company now for 10 years. There are two black, always been two only. One woman, she's from Eritrea. So she's actually Swedish. <laughs> she's actually Swedish. But yeah, I suppose people. <laughs> I'm laughing because you say it's always been two black. Like that's the rules. Can't have more than two black. Only you know, two. It has never came any. And I think I was lucky that I was recruited to this position because the women that recruited me, she was very open-minded, international. She loved Cuba and she took me. But I can imagine. Uh, first, black people don't apply because of many reasons. And the other one, they perhaps don't fulfill everything that we want to fulfill. As you know, it's, it's that when it's the same situation with as a woman, as a woman, okay? That it's not that women not apply, it's that we design the applications in a way that only certain people can apply. <laughs> it's not that, this, that we discriminate, but we start making demands that are only, you know, that only match. A few people. I see what you say. It's like they like to say that's the way of doing it that you, you exclude people without excluding people, right? Exactly. Like you, you exclude people without officially excluding people. I love the way that you say that. Now, okay, so tell me, but okay, so tell me an experience or one or two 
you've been in Sweden 23 years. You've got to have had, maybe not, but like you say, you don't try to be Swedish, but, but tell us like specifically what has happened to you that you know this is racism. Okay, so now you will be surprised. <laughs> I am so, my goodness, so because I have lived alone since I was 23 my, without anybody else. I, have, I am the only one from my family from Cuba that is here. The only one always being alone. So I am, I don't know, I grown up so strong in myself that I have never ever encountered discrimination. Why? Because if, if it is there, I am so much into myself. <laughs> so I don't even see it. You understand what I, I mean? So it. you understand? So I totally understand. I cannot see it. So perhaps somebody look at me and say, and I just say, look at that person. He's, you know, kind of, I never, I have seen it more with my kids because then I am looking at it from, you know, the outside. But in my case, no, because, you know, I, or it might be because I am working in an area that is very much, you know, life science, healthcare, academic people, international, you know, in research and science, you have a lot of international people from many di different countries. I am working more internationally. So my clients are from other countries, you understand? So that's why I haven't been. And then I live in the, re in the, in the part of the city that I live with my house. So I don't talk to the neighbor. So I don't have nothing, you know, I am not, so I am in, in Sweden, but I am not, I am in Sweden, integrated in Sweden with my work in Sweden and everything, but uh, outside of my work, I am with my Latin American friends, with my Spanish friends, so I don't really experience um, discrimination, but with my kids, I have seen it, especially with okay, my daughter that is 19. Okay, two things you brought about. I want to hear about your Latin American community and how you found that in because um, that's important and also so what have you seen with your kids and what have you done How yeah you so it's you know it's it's so complicated because uh, so my daughter she's beautiful beautiful you know curly hair she's beautiful in every aspect but she was she grew up in this area with everybody why and then at some point uh, when she started the uh, high school uh, and the secondary school, I moved her to the international school because I wanted her to experience a more international environment. Okay, so she felt she's not the only black person <laughs> in the class, in the community. And she loved it. She was very happy. You know, she has never been more but. I have another problem, which I know is a problem that I have or a problem that I encounter, but it's as follows. International schools in Sweden, so Sweden is not Berlin, Sweden is not Paris, Sweden is not London, Sweden is not a big city, and Gothenburg, of course, is not a big city, and Sweden is not very international. So most of the immigrants that we have in Sweden, a big majority of them, either they came from Chile with Esopinoche back in the 70s, 80s, or they came, I think, Czech Republic and Serbia after Soviet Union. But since the beginning of 2000, they have come from Africa and MENA region. Okay. And usually the people that come are refugees, at least in Sweden. Okay. Afghanistan, etc., Iraq, Syria. Syria. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then what happens is that international schools in Sweden, when I say international, it's not that there are a lot of uh, English, American, French, German, Dutch, no. It is mainly a mix of people from segregated areas, which parents have some ambitions, you know, for the kids to be something, which I think is good, uh, with a few others, okay? So my daughter, she fell in heaven. She was amazed. But what happens then? When secondary school finished and she started high school and now I want her to start at the university, I have the challenge that for some reason, because of the background of the international kids in the school, for some reason, which I cannot, you know, they don't have the same ambition. So now I am trying to convince my daughter you should go to the university. McDonald's is not the way, you know, the way, but you know, but her, for her friends, her friends, it's, you know, if you complete high school, be happy. Now, you know, be a nurse, which I think is okay, go to McDonald's and they are happy. And I have another ambitions. I want my daughter to be, you know, to have the opportunity that Swedish people have. Because, and I think in that, I don't understand why, but in Sweden as well, everybody has the opportunity to become what they want to be. It's, sometimes you, you say it in the USA, which is kind of true, kind of not true. But in Sweden, really, you have the support if you want to be something. But I think that we put limitations in our mind for some reason that I don't really get, at least in Sweden, okay? So I don't know. Now I am kind of uh, convincing her, please go to the university, please do this, please do this. You have to, you know, you know that's, that's interesting to me, though, because at least like you say in your family, like your parents got to go to university. It was the expectation you were going. Same thing with my, you know, my, I'm a descendant of slaves. You know, we value education. It wasn't a gift. You know, it was a given you were going to go to university. It's, I don't know how, how many years of international school could have, I don't want to say beaten that out of your daughter though, because that's her birthright to, you know what I mean? So that's interesting peer pressure. She loves it. She loves, she loves the internet. You know, she loves, she felt, she feels she's a part of that community, but then she feels divided between what she feels she is as a person and the aspirations that myself, the family or the society have for, you know, it's complicated because you are divided. What does she want to do if she doesn't want to go to university? Like everybody does, uh, you know, you can be a McDonald's, you can be work at a, at a store. You know, she oh. even she even had friends working with her at McDonald's and the guy say, I don't want to go to the university because my parents don't want me to go because my parents want me to have a job. So I can't help the family. You understand that kind of thing? And I feel, oh my goodness. So what I sometimes feel is we need more mentoring and coaching. We need to mentor our kids. We need to mentor our black communities. We need to inspire. We need more role models just because. Um, Let me ask you this. Are any black teachers in that school? Have you, have you no, any never, teachers? ever, Is never, Spain ever. Or <laughs> in in no. Europe, have your kids have any black educators? No, in any of the countries. No, yeah. I I know one black teacher, and he's a music teacher. So usually, black people that are in schools, they are usually music or how do you say humble, kind of um, Art? carpenters. Oh, 
but no. Because I have a friend who teaches in, in, in Sweden, but she's um she's a French teacher. Murders Mall. She's from Haiti. We grew up in New York. But Murders Mall, you know, because you get, did your kids have in, in Sweden, did they have um your daughter, the seven-year-old, is she, is she getting Spanish? Isn't that her mother's tongue? Is she getting yeah, she speaks a first Swedish, second Spanish and English. But I think that they Spanish need role school? models. But I mean, yes. is she getting Spanish at school? Because that's her... Yeah, she gets Spanish at school. So now I send her to Ireland uh, to take some courses to experience, you know, that you can be black and you can also be an engineer and you can be black and you can be a lawyer. So now when she's in, in Ireland, she's part of another international community that you also have refugees, but you also have black Americans and you also have English guys that are blacks and you have Germans Let that me, are black and you have French that are black. I know what you mean. Let me ask you this, because um, we're going to have to go soon. But I just wonder, has your, so you're, when you're, this whole thing, like, okay, comes around to me because, you know, you met your husband in Cuba. He was in love with Cuban culture and everything. So the Cuban people embraced him and welcomed him. When you finally met his family, do you feel like you were embraced and welcomed into Sweden and into Swedish culture? And maybe is that one reason why you're like, I feel because I was talking with somebody today and it, it, breaking into Sweden can be hard. Have you noticed that? It yeah. It can be tough. Yeah. So I was lucky because my stepmother, my husband's mother, she. Mother-in-law. My mother-in-law, my mother-in-law. She is an, she was an angel. She died actually this year uh, of a um, cancer disease, but. She was an angel, so she embraced me. Uh, but as I said sometimes to my host, so I had not big challenges in integrating because first at the time when I came, there, was, there weren't so many immigrants in Sweden. It wasn't the same kind of, a, you know, right now Sweden with these new parties is in another situation in which normal people that wasn't... <laughs> discriminate you know are now so politically yeah. sweden is in a completely different situation that it was when i came 20 years ago it was much easier and apart from that i had my education so swedish people could never say that they paid me you know for anything i didn't have to have any so you know any kind of welfare support or any kind of thing so integration for me was easy in that respect and then also something that i learned when you leave Sweden, come with the experience from other countries and come back, they see you differently. They see you more like an expert, you know, kind of. So I was lucky. Also, my husband's family had a good economic situation. That was good as well, fortunately. <laughs> so they didn't have, so, you know, I didn't yeah. have to compare myself with the other, with the rest of the as a family, they didn't say any kind of, uh, you know, competition between me or what does she think she is because they were very, you know, comfortable and, you know, in what they had and what they no. are. No, and you're right. All of that makes a difference. You know, we're going to have to go soon, but I just really quickly want to hear about this Latin American community that you. Um, yeah, you OK. OK, so what happens is so I have integrated in Sweden, OK, in the work and all that stuff. But I don't have any Swedish friends, to be honest, uh, because I suppose when I when we are outside of the work, we just want to relax and feel good. 
and I want to speak Spanish <laughs> and I want to dance. So then uh, I have many friends that are from Latin America that are from Spain that also came here because they were married to Swedish men, to Swedes. Uh, so we have a common background, a common history, you know, so we can just re relax. We have, so yeah, that's it. So we dance. Uh, I am very much into the Cuban, but with the Cubans, it's more for dancing. Then with the Spaniards, we talk more about, I don't know, work and science and life as a, as a woman here in Sweden. So I don't really have any Swedish friend as such. I have some. You don't need any. You got colleagues. You got no, Swedish colleagues. Yeah, colleagues. So, yeah. You got colleagues. You know what I mean? And I think I've seen you. You do after work with your colleagues if you have. I shouldn't say if you have to, but you know, you're you're and your job is very social anyway. Yeah, so oh it's very social. So that's why I say when I out of my work, I want to just relax. Uh, I think it's easier. So I don't know. I I find that we need uh, to have deeper discussions later in what means to be a black person in Europe because it has very much to do not because you are black sometimes you are black and poor sometimes you are black and old sometimes you are you, you understand so it depends very much not only of the color of the skin but also of the situation in which you live and that very much reflect who you are yeah that's so well said you're you know well this time flew by you're gonna have to well, we have to do, oh, and you know what? Um, Iris is also, okay. I can't say I recruit. Well, I did recruit you for the club. Yeah. So yeah. So um, I had Iris speak um, when I was the second vice president and what is it? Charity chair for international. Club chair, yeah. Last year I had Iris come and talk about, um, this was on Zoom about, you know, life sciences and women in the life sciences industry in Sweden. She gave this fantastic presentation. Everybody was so impressed. So I asked her there, look, will you join the club? She joined and now she took my role. She Now she's the second vice president in charity. Yeah, it's, in a lot of, yeah. it's a lot of work, huh? And there, hey. we are only two, there are only two black women there as well. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of work, but you're doing a great job. You've got something coming up in a couple tomorrow. Tomorrow. I'll tomorrow, see you tomorrow. We have the that uh, hunger product that is for raise funding for an ONG that is trying to help women in Ghana by providing them with microloans, not just, you know, uh, I am very much into empower people by um, giving them funds so they can create their own future. It's you know, I'm going to say two things then. I'm going to say two things. The Black Women in Europe has a, a Kiva lending team and Kiva does exactly what you're talking about, microloans. So anyone, if you already use Kiva to support um, microloans, you can just look up Black Women in Europe and you can join our team and they would just credit the lo loaning you're due. And I typically loan to women in Senegal Ah. because that was the first place that I went to in the continent. I was one of those people on the plane, you know, got off the plane kissing the tarmac, you know, like I'm in Africa, you know, I was one of those people. So I support, so I love that. And I've already given my donation for that. And second thing you said, and Angela is a Susu. We learned about Susu. 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 Do you know yes. what Susu is, Iris? No. Okay, it's a concept we learned briefly. We can talk about it later, but it comes from our from our diaspora, African diaspora, and it's not microloans. It's like we become our own banks, our community. Wow! Yeah, so, it's really great. 
Yeah. So it's a crowd. It's, it's some kind of crowdfunding platform in which everybody puts funding, and then that funding. It's, is I can tell you, like very simple, a really quick example. Say we're ten women, and um, I need a thousand dollars because I've got a project I'm going to do. Each one of those women will put in um, enough money. I get the thousand, but then like then I put every every ten women is going to get a thousand dollars. So every month we would, so let's say there are 10 women and I, we all put in a hundred dollars a month. And then each month we give that thousand dollars to one person and then ah. it just goes on and on and on. It's really, so, kind of a cool, so it's not a loan. Yeah. It's not no. a loan. Okay. That's the way we do when we were at schools and when we are at our work, they say, okay, everybody puts 20 Swedish crowns and then one person gets the money from everybody and then next month. Oh, that's a good thing because it's also a way to save. <laughs> yeah. So this woman that we talked with, she's trying to take it to another level where we're, we're buying houses this way. So everyone wow. would buy, and it's not yeah. buy a house for down payment. It's like, no, you got the money for your house. And then the next person, and she's in it and you pick your month, like when you're going to get. So she picks wow. the last month of the year and the first month of the next year. So she gets that two blocks of money so she can do so it's like everybody agree because I said you can't do it and then get your money and then disappear. It's like no, it's a community. You would have to leave the country. You That's know, gonna... we need to get co-funding. There is some public co-funding, and it's a private for that kind of things in which public sector match as a private people investments. That's and you know what? I want to talk to. Oh God, Iris, maybe I need you on my board too, because I, I want to talk to about funding, EU funding for projects for black women in Europe and, and things that we can do. So God, oh God, that's right. I'll be in touch with you about that. Yeah, we keep in touch for that. Um, you know, we we can have that like a next something, funding, funding. Absolutely. Black women need funding. Absolutely. You know what? I, I don't know if you can, you can't show us a salsa move real quick. You don't have the right. Um, no. She, no, because, oh, I want to, come on, she's about to get up. Iris, something. One little move. Salsa move. Can you show us one move? Maybe you're not in a position. You mean I, I'm going to dance? I got a pajama pants. Oh, you can't you see say, my pajama pants. You want me to dance? I yes, just want to see that's one what move. She's saying. Yeah, one oh, move. Oh, you cannot see me on the screen. Uh, no, okay, I, I just only move hands, though. Okay, show hands. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is that salsa hands? Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, we're going to have so much fun. Okay, I'm going to come see you, Gothenburg. We got to do salsa dancing, or you have to come up to Hansa. But yeah, Angela wants to do events. Maybe we can do an event where you can do with some salsa or something. Yeah, we can. We can yeah. indeed. Um, I know, you know, many other uh, women or organizations in so Europe. They are mostly into the funding part in innovation and that stuff. But I think it uh, might be some good match with what you are doing in well, Africa. It's tons of EU, EU grants. It's just a matter of putting something together, though, because mainly my thing is that, you know, like we need to have more conversations like this. We need to have more, you know, community building, like you were saying, more yeah. mentorship and representation. You know, I want internship programs like people. You know, because there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So we got tons of ideas, but now I feel like we're running out of time because Angela's looking at me like I talk no. too much, and I always no, talk just much. we're running out of time. That's all. <laughs> but thank you very so much. much. Thank you. Thank you. It has been really fun to be with you. You know what? We didn't <laughs> do your music before we warmed up, but we're gonna have your music in 
the show because um, it was it Cuban music. Did you like it? It was a combination Spanish and Cuban, different music. I hope you like it. It's very kind of me. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm so sure we didn't get a chance to listen to it when we warmed up, but we'll have it on the on the notes so people can have a little bit of a taste of Cuba. Ooh, I'm so excited to know that um, I'm going to get salsa lessons. That's, I mean, you don't know. I really, really want to be good at salsa. So thank you for um, sharing all that. I learned thank so much you about too. you. And we keep My in touch. My crush on you is even bigger now. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. We keep in touch. Yes. Bye bye. A lot, and we'll see you next time. See We're you there. Time. There you go.